Today on Ag News Daily. Producers are smart and they realize that we're exporting 25% of our product today. They realize that that export market is going to have to increase that percentage. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We are again at the 2017 World Pork Expo here in Des Moines, Iowa. My name is Delaney Howell and I'm sitting next to my wonderful co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, what have been your overall thoughts about the expo here again today? Well, I appreciate being called a wonderful co-host. Oh, okay. That's the uh, lovely, best, my lovely best compliment I've gotten in a little while, but I'm, I'm once again absolutely amazed at where pork production is today in this country. We are truly on the cutting edge and I think there's proof of that just when you walk around these grounds and everybody's wearing name tags mm -hmm. and you see so many that say Brazil, Taiwan, China, Hong Kong, Europe. We've got, I heard a fellow today, his name was Wolfgang. And he was very <laughs> much sounds like German. Uh -huh. And uh, that's incredible that they're all coming to Des Moines, Iowa. I know. To learn about where the pork industry is going next. Yeah, I mean, it's really a big deal to think that they're flying internationally to come to the World Pork Expo. It's a big deal. It's the World Pork Expo for a reason, Delaney. That's how they got the name. That's true. So what have you thought so far? Um, yeah, I, I think I agree with what you've said. It's amazing to see all the people that are here. I think it holds a lot of weight that a lot of international people come what with trade being in the news a lot lately with NAFTA and TPP now out the window. I think it's important that we continue having those relationships with producers and people in other countries. Yeah, you know, one of the best ways to build bridges for trade is to uh, shake somebody's hand, look them in the eye and, and work with them face to face. And an event like this allows, uh, you know, helps facilitate some of that. So yeah, it's fantastic. It does. Mm -hmm. And we'll be talking a little bit later on today with uh, Ken Mashoff, president of the National Pork Producers Council, yes. about NAFTA and about the importance of trade as uh, one aspect of our conversation. Yes, that's true, we will. So Delaney, do you have any news that uh, from the world of agriculture we need to be aware of? I do have a little news. Um, yesterday, the National Milk Producers Federation laid out three main priorities that they want to see as part of the renegotiation strategy for NAFTA. And those three are to one, preserve opportunities created through NAFTA, particularly in Mexico. Two, they want to improve on existing agreements through new rules and ensure a continued growth in commerce. And then three, they want to address remaining tariff and non-tariff concerns related to Canada, including the elimination of class six and seven pricing schemes that hurt American dairy exports and more specifically Wisconsin and New York dairies, what just about a month ago in April. So. All right. So those are some things that we are going to be hearing hammered on by the uh, the national milk producers. Mm -hmm. Interesting. In other news, since we are at the World Pork Expo, I thought we'd talk about this a little bit. One of the booths, Delaney, that uh, at least I noticed you probably did as well, was the Smithfield booth. They're on the main drag of the World oh, Pork yeah. Expo. Mm -hmm. Well, there was uh, Reuters had an exclusive report today that WH Group, which is the Chinese company that owns Smithfield, is currently looking to buy additional assets in protein production. And what they're looking to do is get outside of pork production. So oh, they're really? looking at acquiring uh, beef and poultry producers, both in the U.S. and in Europe, hmm. to help compete a little bit more with Tyson and with the uh, with JBS, because both those companies produce all three types: right. Smithfield or WH Group, which owns Smithfield, 
wants to to be in that same play. And there was one quote in this article from the the president of the WH Group, and he said that it was certainly the direction, that's the quote, for the company, for WH, to mirror the vertically integrated model it has for the pork business in other meats. So I wonder if after they begin acquiring beef and poultry, if they will begin acquiring cow herds? Mm -hmm. Will they begin to look at calving animals and owning them within the the corporation as a whole? Contracting that out, you mean? Right. Mm -hmm. Contracting the the growing and the calving out and they own the animals. That's something that's been talked about. Well, that's common in poultry, too. Exactly. The only, one of the few industries I guess we haven't seen it take place in is beef, Mm -hmm. but a lot of folks have questioned if it's possible. And it certainly sounds as though the WH Group is going to make a run at that once they acquire some beef processors. And that's a Chinese-owned company, so that might help, too, with, you know, getting beef into the Asian markets. Exactly. And that was one of the comments in the article was, so they they love Smithfield pork, they love that American pork that they're shipping over to China. All right, now that China can accept U.S. beef, if it's owned by a Chinese company... You bet they're willing to buy it yeah, a little bit more. That's I mean, true. or you know, the Chinese government is right, willing to right. favor it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So well, that is something we'll certainly keep an eye on. The beef industry being close to both of our hearts to see if it could take shape the way the uh, modern hog industry has with vertical integration. All right. Well, yesterday President Trump gave a speech in Cincinnati to unveil additional details about his one trillion dollar infrastructure investment plan. A large portion of that is to go to rural infrastructure, which would include um, inland waterways, which support trade and moving of grains, and some other things would be roads, bridges, the normal stuff. But yeah, he wanted he did say that he wanted to focus on a lot more rural infrastructure because he said if we're spending money in other countries, why shouldn't we be spending it here to better our our own infrastructure? And I think to me the biggest comment in that speech that that jumps out at me from an ag perspective is the waterways. I Mm -hmm. believe this is the first time, and and folks, if I am wrong, please correct me, I don't believe uh, President Obama ever discussed the nation's waterways. I think, yeah, and I think part of that too is the bar, well, I'm hoping, it doesn't say specifically in this in this article, but the lock and dam systems yeah, exactly. are in dire need of updating. Exactly. So the fact that the president is willing to talk about waterways in the speech tells me that, hey, maybe we can start to get some movement, start to get some updates done, mm-hmm. because, man, it is crucial, particularly for those of us in the northern Corn Belt who rely on the Missouri, Ohio, and Mississippi rivers to get our product down to the Gulf, we got to be able to get them on barges. There's just not enough train cars in this country to ship them down to New Orleans. Yeah, the article I'm reading says about 60% of grain exports use inland waterways to get their product, you know, down south or to other exporting facilities. And I read a fascinating book. It's called The Accidental Superpower by an (laughs) author named Peter Zion, and he's talking about America. And it's accidental in the sense that we're a superpower because we have such tremendous resources available to Mm -hmm. us geographically. And one of the things is our waterways. We're allowed to, we're, we're able to ship grain so much more affordably because we can barge it down the river than Brazil. You know, we saw those trucks that were trapped for 13, 14 hours on muddy roads. Right. The, the ability, our ability to compete in a world market is so 
dependent on those, on those waterways, waterways being open yeah. that, uh, yeah, it would be fantastic if we could get some of those up to date and begin making concrete plans for how we can improve the rest of them. Mm-hmm. What else do you have for news, Mike? Well, of course, uh, as it seems we do every day, we're taking a look back down at the world of Brazil. The uh, Brazilian government has ordered the state-controlled lender. So this is not a a bank like the Federal Reserve. This is a state-controlled lender. I think it would be most similar to the the FSA lending programs. Very different, but that's what I think we could relate it to. Um, The group is called, I want to say it's Caixa. It's C-A-I-X-A in Portuguese. I don't know how you Mm -hmm. say that, and I apologize. Economica Federal. And it has, the Brazilian government has ordered that lender to stop providing financing to the Batistas and to JNF mm. Investimentos, the owners of JBS. Which was part of the thing that got them in trouble in the first place. Exactly. They were bribing these state-owned lenders to give them loans. Yeah. So now, of course, the government says, hey, we got to put a stop to that. When they... Hams, isn't that what they were giving them? Well, yeah, that was on the meat inspection side. Okay. They were giving They're the inspectors, all sorts of bribes. some of them, some hams to, uh, to shut them. And that was not JBS, as far as we're aware. Right. We don't know if those were okay. JBS hams. Those could have been yeah. several yeah, other yeah. of the Brazilian meat packers. The Batista brothers were bribing government officials to get loans and access to, to new markets. So we'll see if this changes the way JBS South America handles their assets going forward. All right. Do you have any other news? I'm all out for today. You are out of news, huh? I didn't really, I didn't see a lot that struck me as all that interesting. Well, okay. I've got a little bit more then if you'll uh, indulge me, Delaney. Karen Braun, who is a reporter and I believe a meteorologist with uh, Reuters, wrote wrote an article today. It's the first time Reuters has featured an article about the corn market in their commodity section in the past several months. Typically, their commodities mainly talk about oil, gold, and silver. Now they're talking about corn. And of course, you look at the charts the past couple days, Delaney, corn has been on quite a rally, particularly the December contract. And this article talks about how, okay, now maybe we're finally getting enough of a weather scare that we're Mm -hmm. starting to see some shorts cover their position, Mm -hmm. buy a few more corn contracts to to bail out on the chance that the weather continues to worsen. And uh, for those of us in the upper Midwest in particular, this weekend, Delaney, have you watched the weather forecasts? It's going to be hot. Hot, hot, hot and humid. We are establishing our first atmospheric ridge um, here in the Corn Belt, and it was these ridges that caused the drought of 2012. So there's no, I don't believe there's any expectation that we're going to usher in a new drought, but traders are looking at this going, boy, I've seen this play out before. Mm-hmm. I just want to get out of my position. I don't want to be short corn anymore. Yeah. And we've seen this nice rally. So I just thought that was interesting that a major news publication is uh, talking about commodities. All right. Well, speaking of commodities, Delaney, <laughs> should I go into the markets? Yes, I didn't know if you had any other news you wanted to share. Oh, no, nah, I don't think so. I think that was it. Okay. That was that was most of what I wanted to uh, to get off my back there. <laughs> So let's take a look at the world of commodities. We have green on the screen and the grains yet again as we look at the corn market. July corn closed today up one cent, finished the day at 385 and three quarters. December corn climbed one and a quarter, finished the day at 403 and three quarters. It was well off the day's highs. Delaney, do you know what this close is? 
Is it record high? It is the highest close in six months. Okay. Yeah, no, it's not record high. Well, that would make a lot of people pretty excited. I but know. hey, we've finally pushed outside of that 360 to 380 trading range we've been trapped in, in new crop corn, excuse me, in old crop corn. We've pushed these up over $4. This might be the start, as Karen Braun alluded to, to that short covering rally, which could give corn growers, <coughs> hint, hint, a chance to make some sales. Hey, don't you be telling anybody what to do with their corn. I'm not telling you what to do. Fiscally responsible for That's that. That's true. That's true. I, folks, I have Mike zero assets. <laughs> I have zero assets. You can come after me. I have nothing. You have ducks. Uh, I have ducks. That's right. Those are the only things I have that don't have a lien against them <laughs> yet. Um, but this, we've been talking for quite a while about how we're going to get a summer rally, right? Seems like all right. of our analysts have, have talked mm -hmm. about that. We've seen it year in and year out. It looks like we are setting up for that type of scenario today. Corn over the past three days has climbed substantially. The chart really gets pretty inspiring, but it also makes you wonder, ooh, what happens if we break back down below support mm -hmm. level? So this is the time when some folks, again, not making a prediction, Delaney, although we're in the media, we can say whatever we want. That's, right. That's the beauty of being okay. media. But I, I will say that this might be a time to get some local orders in at your elevator. National Cash ba Grain Basis, as reported by DTN, actually climbed a little bit today. It, it weakened, obviously, we didn't get the full uh, one and a quarter cents rally in the basis. But call those elevators, find a price you're going to be content making some sales at, and let the market come to you if this thing continues to run. Let's not get greedy again, uh, like some of us, and I speak from experience, got last year. In the soybean market, July beans climbed seven and a quarter cents, finished today at 9.38 even. November beans up eight cents, finished at 9.43 and three quarters. Uh, over in Chicago wheat, the July contract climbed four and a half cents, finished the day at 4.49 and a quarter. December wheat also up four and a half cents, finished the day at 4.84 and a half. Looking over to the world of livestock, Delaney, we had the Fed Cattle Exchange auction take place today, which mm -hmm. was a rarity. Uh, just a little over 1,300 head were sold at an average price of 136.75. So still a lot of strength in the cash market. Didn't see it reflected in the futures. June live cattle climbed today 17.5 cents, finished at 131.37.5. The August contract dropped 15 cents, closing at 124.02.5. In feeder cattle, more weakness. I've held my calves for too darn long, Delaney. I got greedy. Mm. I got greedy. The August feeder cattle contract dropped 85 cents today, finishing at 153.95. September feeders dropped 87.5, closing at 153.25. In lean hogs, hey, hey, some excitement here for the second day of the World Pork Expo. July lean hogs climbed a buck 12 and a half today, closing at 82.20. And the August contract climbed 95 cents, finishing the day at 81.67 and a half. In milk, the June class three milk contract dropped two cents, finishing at 16. 27. I promised a little earlier on we we're going to talk to Ken Mesh off Delaney. Should we go ahead and throw it over to Ken? Let's turn it over to Ken. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We are here at the World Pork Expo, and today we are talking to the president of the National Pork Producers Council, Mr. Ken Mashoff. Ken, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Hey, no problem, guys. Glad to visit with you. Tell us a little bit, how long have you been in this role? Uh, this role actually just since early March. 
so prior to that in the NPPC officer rotation, uh, you serve a year as uh, president-elect, a year as vice president, and generally a number of years on the board prior to that. So they generally try to pick somebody that's got a little bit of experience and is groomed a little bit. In my case, I don't know why they chose me. So, yeah. <laughs> well, the Mashoffs is certainly a name that's familiar to pork producers. Now, tell us a little bit about when you look at the pork industry as a whole in mm -hmm. 2017, how are we sitting? You know, uh, I think that uh, producers are excited. This morning I had the opportunity to, to walk the streets here a little bit and, and visit with people. And uh, it, it, is, it is a time where everybody recognizes that the new plant's coming on, uh, the fact that we are exporting as much product as we've ever exported, the fact that uh, there's growth in the industry. It's why we have so many people here, so many exhibitors, that excitement. But producers are smart and they realize that we're exporting 25% of our product today and that when these new plants come on and we have that extra harvest capacity and we're building facilities today to fill those plants, they realize that that export market is going to have to increase that percentage. And, uh, you know, NPPC has been working aggressively with the current administration as well as uh, on, on trade deals that we've negotiated in the past to ensure that they stay in place. Ken, there's a large number of international uh, attendees here at the World Pork Expo as well. Have you gotten the opportunity to talk to any of them about the pork industry? And if yeah. so, what do they represent? Yeah, quite a few. Uh, well, first of all, in, in my role, uh, as an officer and in being involved in NPPC, I've had the luxury of uh, just over the past year or so uh, uh, traveling to a number of countries. In fact, uh, we met with the Colombians in Colombia last year. Uh, we went to Peru this year, been to Mexico multiple times. Uh, prior to this role, this particular role, have traveled abroad to Europe and Asia. And so I, I have got to talk to producers. And just today alone, we met with the Colombian delegation. Tomorrow we'll meet with the Argentines, uh, the, the Vietnamese are, are here and others. Uh, just, just spoke to Japanese uh, radio, was interviewed by Japanese television uh, a couple of weeks ago. So they all understand that the U.S. pork producer and pork production in the U.S., that we are producing the most, the highest quality, uh, safest product at a, at a value that makes sense to their consumers. So that's the reason, there's no, it's just not by happenstance that the U.S. pork industry is growing. The reason it's growing is because this is the best, most efficient place in the world for it to happen. So economically, they understand that this is the go-to place for pork. So they're very interested in what we're doing. Do you get a lot of pushback from them about concerns with hormones or antibiotics, or are their consumers a lot more aware? I think their consumers either must be aware of things or else uh, it's not an area they've either chosen, it's an area they've chosen to either avoid or it's not an issue. My guess is that it, it, it isn't an issue. Uh, when you think of some of these countries, and I'm not going to, there, there's I could go down a list mm -hmm. of about 10 more that I haven't mentioned, and I don't want to mention them because what I'm about to say is when you look at some of these nations around the globe where they haven't had a safe product and a wholesome product and their pork production has more or less been backyard and their concerns are something we kids in this country have never even heard of trichinosis mm -hmm. and things like that pretty you know 
it's pretty apparent that those aren't the issues to them. The issues to them is how do we get your product because we know it's very affordable and it's a great source of protein. And, and that really opens up a door. When we talk exports, we had a whole conversation last year on the Trans-Pacific Partnership mm -hmm. that yep. now America is, is not going to be a part of. As you look for the future of, of pork exports, where's the biggest opportunity or what are the biggest headaches that we could potentially run into? Yeah, we, could have, we, we avoided a huge headache here just very, very recently in the fact that, uh, uh, you know, it, it appeared for a while that the Trump administration was going to scrap NAFTA and we were going to start over. Had we done so, we know that the Mexicans in particular were, were ready to look south and were already talking uh, to the Europeans and, and the Chileans and the Brazilians about uh, pork coming in. If we'd have scrapped that, we'd have lost potentially a portion of that market. Uh, $49 out of every pig today is attributed to trade. Of that, Fourteen dollars is just is just Mexico and and Canada, Mexico and Canada. So NAFTA combined, but uh, losing that market would have been very very tough. It would have been tough to get back once we had someone else in there. So I think that that uh, we're on good grounds with NAFTA because the administration knows that. And and I uh, kudos to Secretary uh, uh, Sonny Perdue as well as Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross. Uh, battled for us on that and continues to. And so uh, I think keeping NAFTA was paramount. That's 36% of our total uh, trade volume. But now that TPP is gone, picking up, I don't want to say picking up the pieces, because if we can get, and, and I had a Japanese reporter ask me five times over today, mm -hmm. you don't want any more out of a bilateral agreement than what you had negotiated in TPP? And we said, no, what we had in TPP would have been good. It was an elimination of duties and tariffs into Japan over a 15-year period. Well, that's a long time, but it's better than what we have today, which is no uh, certainty that those uh, tariffs and barriers would be broken down. With all this pork coming at us, the only way we are going to be successful is if we can sell into areas on encumbered by trade restrictions because if we can compete freely uh, we know we're we're on good footing that's right most efficient yep. most efficient producers in the world yep reining it back into the u.s we have the new farm bill that's going to be rolled out here within yes. the next year what are some things that mppc is pushing for in the new farm bill yeah and, and it's, it's it's a great question and one that's near and dear to me because uh, during my term as president, this will be a big push that uh, in the 2018 Farm Bill, which we all know how D.C. operates, so it might be the 2019 <laughs> Farm Bill, I don't know. But uh, what we're looking for there is really, it, it's our first big ask as pork producers, because historically pork producers went into the Farm Bills every five years and said, you know, just leave us the heck alone, you know, keep regulations, keep, keep, keep things that are going to be bad for us out of this farm bill and we really don't want anything other than to be left alone and to compete. This time around we, we've been concerned about, we, we just talked about trade. Well, We know if we had a foreign animal disease like foot and mouth that is a trade restricting, uh, basically it restricts trade, we would have all that pork and all the beef for that matter dumped on the domestic marketplace. When we do the math on that, not only does it cripple and bankrupt pork producers right and left, but it hurts uh, beef. It would, it would hurt poultry short term because all that product would be on the domestic market. Corn and soybean meal prices would, uh, soybean prices would go down 
pretty quickly as the industry rationalized and producers would go out of business because you weren't exporting that product. Uh, and so what we're going to Congress saying that we can't create uh, an adequate bank of our own because there are laws against keeping antigens and keeping the vaccine and manufacturing the vaccine in U.S. borders. In Lyon, France and in England, uh, there is capacity. We want the government to contract for that capacity to produce these vaccines. We'll take the 28 known antigens and we will produce those vaccines and have an adequate vaccine base so that if we ever did have a foreign animal disease like foot and mouth disease, we could immediately vaccinate. Doesn't mean we won't lose some export markets, but we'll be back in the game much, much quicker than we would be uh, had we not had those. So you're looking for effectively a, a stockpile of vaccine sitting inside the borders in this country somewhere that we could get to an emergency? No, it'll actually be stored outside the borders. Uh, however, in an outbreak, then we can bring it in. And the way this works economically is those vaccines, the, the cost to produce versus the cost to sell that vaccine, it works like anything else in the world. Uh, somebody makes a profit on that. So what these, what these uh, manufacturers will do is they will manufacture this vaccine and have an adequate large bank. So it'll take a, a greater inventory, which is gonna cost some money, but the countries in the world where the vaccines are being used today or can be used, you'll constantly use out of that bank and replenish that bank. So the bank is a five year, has a five year life to the vaccine. So if, if you didn't use the vaccine in five years, you might be throwing your money away. But if that was allowed to be sold, and, and uh, somebody could operate it as a business, it would, make, it would make sense. And then if we had an outbreak in this country and producers beyond the quarantined area where they were forced to buy the vaccine and use the vaccine, if other producers wanted the vaccine and said, hey, I wanna protect my operations, then they would have a place to buy it. So the economics come in there. Gotcha. So when, the, when, we, when we say we're looking to the government, we are, but by the same token, the industry is willing to bear a lot of this cost in the end if there would be an outbreak. Basically, anyway. you're just asking the government for the permission to create a market, effectively. E exactly. Now, on the shorter term, what legislative actions do pork producers need to have in mind? Is there anything we need to be taking action on today or here in this next uh, 2017 year? Yeah, the uh, I think the, the thing that producers need to be aware of is as we've seen things, you know, like healthcare and other things get, get kicked back a little bit, uh, it's obviously pushed back. Uh, one of the big uh, areas that I think we're all concerned about as businessmen, and that's tax reform. So there's issues within the tax code uh, specifically around capital gains, around uh, uh, cash accounting or, or income averaging, things that are important to farmers that we are we have our uh, finger on the pulse on and we are uh, working with congressmen and legislators, but there's no legislation proposed right now, so it's we're working in committees and with ways and means and things like that. We obviously know, and we don't need to go into, uh, I'm sure you've talked to others about uh, GIPS and Waters of the United States. These mm -hmm. are things that are basically, fortunately, they've been stayed and we're in a holding pattern, but it really appears like we may uh, have a victory on these things if, if, if we can get them killed or, or pushed back uh, permanently. So right now, I would say, uh, the only other big one that could come up is immigration reform. And as an industry, we understand uh, in agriculture, uh, we understand uh, uh, migrant workers and a, a strong workforce. And we also understand that within pork production, if we really wanna grow the economy, 
we look at low, low unemployment rates across the country. And typically, if you look at rural areas where these packing plants are going in and where farmers need labor, uh, the unemployment rate's even lower. So if you want to grow an economy, you have to have a larger workforce to do that. So a fair, legal uh, uh, ability for immigration to take place, along with uh, uh, strong borders, all those things we're in favor of, but we have to have a good visa program, we have to have a good legal pathway uh, to make feel, people feel safe and comfortable and, 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 uh, and businesses to operate. Okay, Ken, I have one final question for you. I'm sure it's going to be the hardest one we've asked you. Yes. What is your favorite food to eat here at the World Pork Expo? Oh my goodness, you're putting me on the spot now because <laughs> I've already visited about four tents and I was accused uh, everywhere from bratwurst to uh, some bacon slab <laughs> bits that I found to some, uh, some ribs and everybody accused me, you only took like two ribs, you only took one <laughs> bratwurst, but they don't know that I'm eating at 10 tents, so you're putting me on the spot. But I had a great bratwurst this morning and I had some fabulous ribs. Well, Kent, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We'll continue to uh, keep an eye on the, uh, the action that NPPC is doing and hope you have a lot of fun here at the okay. World Pork Expo. Thank you guys very much. Again, a big thank you to Ken Mashoff. And tomorrow we will be talking to... Mike's first employer, <laughs> Speed Herring. We Speed Herring, we will. And Delaney tried to get some dirt on me. She kind of tried to throw me under the bus a little bit, but Speed, he's got my back. Well, Speed's yeah. a good guy. So uh, for those of you in the, that have ever tried cookies, barbecue sauces, and seasonings, Speed is the fellow who has uh, steered that company for, I believe, 39 years of its 40 years in existence. Yeah. And so uh, we'll talk to Speed tomorrow, and we're also going to talk to Dr. Paul Sundberg, who is the executive director of the Wine Health Information Center um, about what what they're doing to address diseases right, and disease yeah. threats in the pork industry. Yeah, I would say uh, crisis management or planning ahead really is yeah. what they're doing. Looking over the next hill. Yeah. So uh, be sure to tune in for that, folks. We'll be talking to both of those, and uh, we encourage all of you to check out our website at agnewsdaily.com. And uh, friend us on Twitter and Facebook. We, Delaney did some great job putting up some uh, Facebook Live, some Twitter events here at the World Pork Expo today. So if you're not following us on there, be sure to do so and click really, back through. Give us your thoughts. Yeah, you really want to at least like us on Facebook because you get to see Mike eating a rib, which yes. is kind of funny. A pork rib, not a human rib a or anything gross. Rib. I'm not Hannibal Lecter, but uh, <laughs> it was it was a delicious, it was really delicious good. ribs here at the Pork there Expo. There were some guys watching me eat mine because I was just hunched over and looked yeah. very ladylike. Yeah, the guys watching Delaney, they were the, uh, the grounds crew yeah. here at the, the State Fair, and they were uh, they were just sitting on their golf carts, just smoking cigarettes, staring at Delaney. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think... I think, uh, you know, she might have a couple potential suitors out right. there. Lucky me. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Delaney, do we have anything else we need to tell our listeners? No, I think we should let them go. What do you think? Let's let them go.